Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 98 of the podcast, and it is almost World Junior time. How is that possible? It's under 50 days to go to the World Junior Championship. So we are going to talk about that today. Also going to answer a ton of questions. I got so many on a variety of topics surrounding prospects. We've got the NHL draft. We've got uh, college hockey. We've got more World Juniors questions. I mean, it's everything is happening right now. We've got everybody going. All the leagues are up. Everybody's playing, and we're having a great time with it. Before we get into the topics at hand, did want to remind you to make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast in the audio format. If not already, you can do that on your podcast app of choice. You can also watch us on YouTube and on flowhockey.tv or via the Flow Sports app. Many different ways to interact with this podcast. And if you do have a podcast app of choice, make sure you're leaving a kind rating and review to let people know about the podcast. A lot of exciting things happening at Flow Hockey and plenty to get to. But we are going to focus on the World Junior Championship today. And we're going to have a whole bunch of World Junior content throughout the next month plus uh, as we move into the actual tournament. We've got... Um, you know, a bunch of video features that we shot at the World Junior Camp, the U.S. World Junior Camp, so you can get to know some of the players and candidates for the U.S. national team a little bit better. Got a lot of fun stuff planned as well with some of those pieces. I'll obviously be tracking a lot of it. I'll be going to the pre-tournament camp. I'll also be heading to Gothenburg for the World Juniors as well. So uh, a lot of excitement about that tournament as there is every year. But today I wanted to focus on a bunch of different topics that surround the World Juniors. We're not just going to focus on USA, though we will get to them um, next. But I wanted to take a look because this rookie class in the NHL, there are a number of players that have World Junior eligibility that are still you know, playing in the NHL or may not be available for this tournament. But I did want to – I do think there will be a few players that are currently playing in the NHL that may very well be headed to the World Juniors. Now – there's a lot that can happen. There's a lot of different things that that will happen over the course of the next couple of weeks, and these teams will have decisions to make. But we're going to start there because there's a couple of players that I want to touch on, uh, the guys that won't be there, the guys that will be there. And then also there's a very there's a, a, an interesting player that we've been having a lot of conversations about in the public over the last week that I wanted to talk about specifically. And if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan, maybe you're sick of it already, but we're going to talk about it anyway. And that's, of course, talking about Uri Slavkovsky. So let's talk about that in just a second. But before we do, so who are the guys that we don't think will be going to the World Juniors? Connor Bedard is an NHL player. He is not going to the World Juniors. I, maybe he would like a break from you know a Chicago team that is is not going to be winning a lot. But I think if Connor Bedard had his way, he would be staying in the NHL, and I think that's how it's going to be. He is, uh, you know, set the record at the World Juniors last year. I don't think there's any reason for Chicago to risk injury or anything else with him. He needs to continue to play NHL games, get his pro reps up. Then also Logan Cooley. So Team USA is probably going to be without the number one player in this birth year, um, which is unfortunate for them uh, because at the outset of this summer, it looked like Logan Cooley was going to return to school. He ends up not returning, and now you can make a case for him being among the best rookies in the NHL right now. None of the rookies are really lighting it on fire, so to speak. They're producing. He's contributing. He's an impact player for the Arizona Coyotes, but you know he's not going to be available to Team USA, or so we think. Another guy, Matt Potra, who we've talked about on this podcast a couple of times, I don't think he's going anywhere either. I mean, there's always the the possibility where, hey, his play slips and the Bruins suddenly decide to make him available for the World Junior Championship to go play for Canada. 
always a possibility, but he's played so well. It's just hard to see him going anywhere but staying with the, the Bruins. And, you know, I have to say the Bruins have had a number of rookies make an impact. You've got Platra, you've got John Beecher, and you've got uh, Mason Lorai, who, and, and Beecher and Lorai just scored their first NHL goals on the same night. Um, so you're seeing those guys make an impact, and then you see Poitra, who has been there the whole time and having a tremendous season. So I don't think he's going to go either. But then there's a number of players that have kind of been up and down a little bit. You know, there's been injuries. Matt Savoy is one of them from the Buffalo Sabres, uh, still eligible for this tournament. He's currently up with the big club after uh, getting a rehab stint in the AHL. And, you know, there's a lot of questions about should he be going back to junior? Is he uh, Has he outgrown it? Should he stay with the Sabres? Is there a spot for him with the Sabres? The nice thing about what's happening now is the Sabres can get him into a few games if they want to. They can kind of let him be around. They can't send him back to the AHL because he's still junior eligible. And now you can send him to Team Canada. He'll get, you know, basically three weeks of, of uh, you got almost a month of training camp, tryout camp, and then you go to the tournament and you make an impact there. And then you can come back and then either the Sabres could send him back to junior or they could let him stay at the NHL level if they think that's the best move for him. We saw last year the Arizona Coyotes allowed Dylan Gunther to go play at the World Junior Championship. He happened to score the golden goal for Team Canada. They did still send him back to junior, but he ended up playing for a WHL championship. So, you know, that's the, there are a lot of valuable things that you could do. And the World Juniors is actually a great event for these teams that have some of these concerns about their prospects or, or at least want to kick the can down the road for making a decision about these prospects because now they'll get to play in a high stakes environment with a pace that is, you know, at least not quite NHL pace, but similar to it. Um, also with Buffalo, you start to wonder about Zach Benson's availability. Benson has not played every single game with the Sabres. He is, you know, had a great training camp. He looked good very early, but like a lot of players, the the effectiveness wanes over time. You have, you know, maybe you're getting dinged up. Maybe you're not able to to produce, and so. That's another player. I think the World Juniors would make a lot of sense for Zach Benson to go to. It's going to be up to the Sabres to make the decision about where he where he best fits. Both he and Savoy are property of the same junior team, the Wenatchee Wild, formerly the Winnipeg Ice. And uh, you know we've seen Connor Geeky, who we actually have a question about later in this show, go back to the Wenatchee Wild and have some success. So plenty of things that that are are interesting to kind of track and and look at. For for those players, um, some of the other guys, Tristan Luno uh, is, is you know he's been up and down. The the Ducks haven't really been able to get him into the lineup. I think that they're you know reluctant to send him back to junior as as he was the QMJHL defenseman of the year last year. But I think he makes a lot of sense to go to Team Canada and be a veteran player for them and, and be a guy that can can make some plays. And then lastly, uh, you've got Fraser Minton who was already sent back to junior but did play NHL games this year. I think, you know, a no-brainer for for Team Canada in a depth role there. You know, I think that Fraser Minton, even though he did play in the NHL this season, I don't think he's the type, kind of guy that you're going to have in your top six. Um, but, you know, maybe he's the third-line guy, and, and he's going to be a very important part. So here's where things get a little bit more interesting. I was thinking about Leo Carlson, and the, the Anaheim Ducks clearly have a plan for Leo Carlson. It's not to play every game. It's to, to bring him along gradually, but the kid continues to produce. He continues to make an impact when he's in the lineup. And now you ha- you have to decide, okay, are we going to send him back to junior or, or not junior back to Sweden? Um, or is he, you know, should we send him to the world juniors and give him an opportunity to go and then come back and play for us? Now, the crazy thing is the Anaheim Ducks are far more competitive than anyone expected them to be. Their their rookies have been playing outstanding hockey. Um, you've got Leo Carlson on this kind of plan. I think it's going to be hard for them to send him back. Now, the, the, the allure of Carlson going back in particular is that this is in Gothenburg. It's an opportunity for him to play in his home country, help his country win a medal. With Leo Carlson, Sweden very much in the mix for gold. Without him, going to be a bit of a, a taller hill to climb because he is such a critical player and was a critical player for that team last year. So going to be interesting to see what happens. My gut says he won't be going um, and he'll continue on with the ducks who are, you know, outperforming expectations. And then there's one other player that is playing well enough. And I think is getting the minutes that maybe you don't send him, but the Chicago Blackhawks have Kevin Korchinski, who's played very well this year in the NHL. The question is, is is he fully ready? I, you know, I think defensively there have been some lapses. 
He's a, cr- a tremendous skater. I really like the way that he moves the puck. I think he's made some tremendous decisions. I think if you're the, the Blackhawks, you see enough there to say, hey, he's developing here. He's getting comfortable here. Even if we're going to take our lumps this season, we'd rather have him do it here than go back to junior. But then there could be that stopgap of allowing him to go to the World Junior Championship. Now, the Blackhawks had a terrible experience with that years ago. They sent Kirby Doc to, to the World Juniors. He you know, destroys his wrist in a pre-tournament game and out for the year. And, you know, that was a very big setback in his whole development with the Chicago Blackhawks. So you wonder if that makes him a little bit gun shy to make that decision on Korchinski. However, I think Kevin Korchinski makes some sense there. Um, And now we're, that brings me to the, what I teased earlier and the one that I think is a little bit, you know, It's a bit of a stretch because he didn't go last year, and that's Uri Slavkovsky. We've talked about him a lot Um, in the hockey circles. There has been a lot of discourse about Slavkovsky, and I've mainly stayed out of it because, you know, I think that people are already starting to rehash should he have gone number one overall, all those different things. First of all, too early to have that conversation. You know, I definitely was among the people that did not have him first overall, didn't have Shane Wright first overall. Um, You know, so that's, you know, there's a lot of arguments to be had about whether or not the Canadians made the right choice. It's still too early to say yes or no definitively. But Slavkovsky has struggled, um, and I don't think he looks like he belongs in the NHL right now, which is not saying that he's a bad prospect. It's saying he's not ready. And I felt that way last year. I felt that way about him. I thought that they, that he should have been sent to Laval well before, you know, the, the, throughout last season. And then he gets injured. So it, it, it's kind of a moot point after that. But I, I think if he's not getting reps and and they're trying. The, the the Canadians are trying a lot of different things to get him ready, but he's not progressing at a level. And I I'm starting to see signs that you know is the hockey sense there is the pace there that that he needs to have in terms of just processing the game. Um, I don't think he's a dumb hockey player. I'm not saying that at all. I think he's a, a smart hockey player. But what I am saying is, if you're the Montreal Canadiens and you need a spark in this young player's development. Why not go to the World Juniors? Why not go play for Slovakia? Why not have an opportunity? Slovakia is going to have a very good team. Um, you know, I think they'll, they'll have the the ability to potentially have uh, Simon Net, Netcha, uh, Nemec there. They'll have you know possibly Philip Mayshar, possibly Adam Sakora, Adam Guyon as the goalie again. I mean, there are a lot of good players, and if you add Uri Slavkovsky to the mix, now you're talking about a team that potentially could medal. And Slavkovsky also has played his best hockey while in a Slovakia uniform. Give him that opportunity to get that confidence. There is a lot of risk in sending a player that's been already in the NHL. And I think that a lot of teams are reluctant to send a player away from what they're doing in, in the, in the possibility that they may lose some momentum. Well, Slavkovsky doesn't have any momentum to speak of right now. You know, he, he's, he has scored, he got his goal, you know, like that could get some potential, Good feelings there. But if you're not willing to send him to the AHL, and I think that there is such a stigma around sending a number one overall pick to the AHL because it it does not happen, but it probably should have happened multiple times with multiple first-round picks. I think about Alexi Lafreniere. Obviously, they couldn't do it in his first season because he was a junior-age player. But, you know, I think that there were opportunities for him to potentially be sent to Hartford and and and, and maybe even Capo Caco, the same thing. And that didn't happen because I think there's such a pressure and play the teams don't want to put that on the player because it looks like a failure of some kind when it really isn't. It's an opportunity to, to grow. And if the Canadians are not willing to send Slavkovsky to the AHL, sending him to the World Juniors doesn't feel like a demotion. It doesn't feel it feels like an, you know, hey, we're gonna let you go play for your country. Go get some confidence. Shane Wright went to the World Juniors last year. And that was a big boon for him. Um, you know, that that he played well. He captained a team to a gold medal. Big confidence booster for him. Did it translate in him returning to the NHL? It didn't. He went to the back to junior. But if you do this, and then maybe you send Slavkovsky to the AHL for some time to, you know, and Laval, it, you know, that, that could be the, the right place. I think it's a little bit more tricky or a little trickier. 
for the Canadians to do that because Laval is right by Montreal. And, and so you're not out of the spotlight and everything you do will be watched even closer. So there's no good solution at this point, but I do think that Slavkovsky going and playing in Sweden at the world juniors might not be the worst idea. And I've had some bad ones, but that might not be it. I also wanted to very quickly touch on some of the um, some of the AHL players that are of junior age that will have the opportunity to potentially play in this tournament. Shane Wright being one of them, uh, currently playing for Coachella Valley in the AHL. You know, get an opportunity to go. Uh, you know, be a, be a part of this team again. I don't think he's he's been. Uh, a dominant, you know, a dominant force. Yo- Joachim Kamel, uh, Kamel, who I just saw actually recently in an AHL game, you know, eligible to play for Finland. I mentioned Sima Nemec uh, has an opportunity. Uh, uh, Philip Mayshar, Adam Sikora, Marco Kasper, Yuri Kulik, among the, the U20 players currently in the AHL. I think, you know, Kulik could very well go play for the Czech Republic as well. Uh, none of those players Uh, would be able to represent the United States. But that's why we're now going to talk about the U.S. We are obviously in the United States of America here at Flow Hockey. And so we're going to talk a lot about Team USA. Spent a lot of time at the World World Junior Summer Showcase. Was there for the entire camp. And a lot of what we saw there is starting to translate to the college season. Most of Team USA's eligible players are playing college hockey. There are a few like Quentin Musty playing in the OHL. Uh, but most of the, the vast majority of players that the U.S. is selecting for this team will be coming from college hockey. And a, many of them have been among the top players in college hockey this season. When you look at the NCAA scoring list for the entire season and you, you filter it out by U-20 players that are also American, the first nine players on that list are all guys that were in the World Junior Camp this summer, and that's led by Rucker McGordy, who has 16 points. We talked about him a little bit last week. He's all of a sudden a, a Hobie Baker candidate. Michigan hasn't played that great, but McGordy has. Gavin Brindley, a returning player, opportunity to play for Team USA again. He has 15 points. Seamus Casey, three Michigan Wolverines that we've talked about already. He's the top scorer in NCAA hockey among defensemen. You've got Lane Hudson, who's over a point per game and 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 it, playing at a, an incredibly high level. Will Smith has been one of the top scoring freshmen outside of Macklin Celebrini, who is leading all freshmen and all players in college hockey currently with 18 points and, or not all players. He's got 14 points. Um, And, you know, I think that that's, that's impressive. So you've got players like that, that are, that feel like locks and looked like locks. Cutter Goche, eight goals so far this season, Jimmy Snuggerud, six goals, you know, so those are players that are playing at a high level that you don't have any, any concerns about at all. Where it gets interesting is, you know, some of these guys that may have been more on the bubble, guys like Gabe Perot, Isaac Howard, you know, Frank Nazar, who had a great camp, but still, you know, coming back from injury, those guys are all among top scorers in college hockey as well. So they've done their part to put themselves on the radar. Oliver Moore has had a really nice start to the season. So now your forward group is really starting to come together. You're starting to see a little bit more. You, you think about James Hagens and Cole Eiserman. We talked about Cole Eiserman being on the bubble coming out of the camp. And, it, you know, I said, hey, he might have to score 40 goals before just to, you know, he, he did not have a very effective camp. And what is he doing? He's scored, all, he's on a pace to score potentially 40 goals by Christmas, which is insane. Um, and, you know, I think he'll fall just shy of that. But that's another thing where you say, okay, well, that gives us a lot to think about. Where things are continuing to get more interesting is a position that I think Team USA is very confident about going into this tournament, but one where they may have some decisions to make that they probably didn't expect to have to make or at least weren't planning to make, and that starts at the goaltending position. And as of right now, if you look at the two goalies that are that are you know the primary guys, I think the number three goalie position is up for grabs, but the number one and two are set in stone. You can lock it up right now, Trey Augustine and and Jacob Fowler are the one and two goalies. Now, the question is, is what order will that be when the tournament comes around? Trey Augustine was the starting goalie for Team USA last year. He won the job uh, and, and, and earned the job last year, played in the biggest games, You know, had some struggles against Canada, had some struggles in the, gold, in the bronze medal game. However, he did win a gold medal at the World Under-18 Championship. 
Then you've got Jacob Fowler, and Fowler has put up the better numbers in the collegiate season, a 923 save percentage for Boston College. He's looked absolutely sharp. He's looked solid. He's looked just as much as good as we saw him last year in the playoffs. That's how he's looked so far for Boston College. He had one of the best postseason performances by a goalie in USHL history to lead the Youngstown Phantoms to their first ever Clark Cup. That's what he's looked like so far with Boston College in his first year of college hockey. Very intriguing. But then you've got Trey Augustine, who has that international experience, who has a gold medal to his name at the World Under-18 Championship, who has some of that pedigree, who has that, that predictability. However, when you look at how he's played at Michigan State, very inconsistent to start. He's had some games where he's gotten yanked. He's had some games where he just didn't look quite himself. And so you say, how does that change the decision? I think you'll go into camp. Both goalies have the opportunity to be the starter. I think you'll probably see both goalies play multiple games in the tournament. Maybe each of them will get two in the preliminary round, and then they'll pick one as they go in. USA has had success with that model in the past. You look back at 2017, Tyler Parsons and Joseph Wall were going back and forth in terms of starts, and then Parsons eventually took over the job. Team USA ends up winning the gold medal with Parsons, playing a significant role in back-to-back shootouts to win that tournament. So that's that's another example of where you can say, okay, well, USA has done this before. Maybe a tandem isn't such a bad thing. And I think you at least owe it to Jacob Fowler now to give him every opportunity to win the starting job based on how he's played. So really impressive there. The area that we knew was going to be an issue coming into this season is still kind of up for, up for grabs. I'd say there are three locks for this blue line, three locks. And, and there's, there's a question about it later, so I'm answering it now. But there's three locks for this blue line, and that is Lane Hudson, Ryan Chesley, and uh, Seamus Casey. Those three guys, I think you look at Hudson and Casey, will be on your power play units. However, you have some other options. Now, the thing is, is that those three guys, Chesley's over six feet. The other two guys are sub six foot, you know, closer to 5'10", 5'11", defensemen. Um, And so how much more of that do you need? As I look across the landscape of the players that are available to them, Eric Polkamp, 5'11", Zeev Booyam, 5'10", 5'11", you know, those are players that are playing well enough to have earned a spot on this team. Not a lot of size on the back end, and you're not. there's not a lot of ways to manufacture it. I don't think you have a ton of guys that have played outstanding. You also look at what Hunter Brustevich has done in the OHL. At one point was the leading scorer in the entire league from the blue line, now playing for the Kitchener Rangers. That's another offensive element. Do you want to have that on your team? Do you have now all puck-moving defensemen and very few shutdown guys, with Chesley being an exception? You know, you look at guys like Paul Fisher, Zach Schultz, you know, uh, uh, Brady Cleveland, who wasn't in camp, you know, uh, players like that that have an opportunity to potentially play in a a key role for your team. Um, but that's there's there's a lot of question marks there. I think there are additional question marks. You know, Charlie Stramel was injured for a portion of the season, hasn't really scored that much. Has he shown enough in the limited action that he has had with Wisconsin to make a case for being on the team. I mean, I think his size, his defensive capabilities, his ability to kill penalties, those are important. But you also have to look at other other avenues. And I think there are a couple of guys that weren't in camp that have played well enough in college hockey to have warranted some consideration. And that includes guys like Tanner Adams, Ryan Conmey, I think even Gavin O'Connell at Michigan State. Those are guys that have scored at a level. I think Adams has also played a tenacious kind of uh, could play lower in your lineup. He's an undrafted player. I think he's going to get drafted upon re-entry this year um, into the draft. You know, Ryan Conmey had a, a tremendous season last year for Sioux City in the USHL. Now playing at UNH, he's been a big part of that team's resurgence. And then you look at O'Connell; he's been one of the top scorers for uh, for this this Michigan State team that is you know looking like a better better club as well. So those are among the players. And I do think that we'll see a number of players that weren't invited to the summer camp that could play. I'm also keeping my eye on underage defenseman Logan Hensler. Hensler's not draft eligible until 2025, but he's a six foot two blue liner that can absolutely skate and move pucks playing on the under 18 team right now. You know, I think that for a, for a blue line that needs a little bit of help in terms of size, that might be a place that you find it with, with getting a guy like Logan Hensler who moves pucks well, but still, 
can bring the size and skating ability that you're going to need at this tournament. The World Juniors is a tough tournament. we got a long way to go. Team USA's uh, pre-tournament camp in the middle of December in Plymouth, Michigan, um, planning to be there. And as we get closer and closer to that event, we will continue to talk more about that entire team and the process and everything else. And as I mentioned, stay tuned for so much more coverage on Flow Hockey because we've got a ton of new video features and we also will have plenty of written work as well. And we will always be talking about it right here on Talking Hockey Sense. All right, we made it through. We got through our World Junior conversation. I think I even went longer than I wanted to, but I hope that now you're fired up because December 26th is going to be here before you know it. And so you want to make sure that you are fully prepared and we will do that with you on Talking Hockey Sense. It is just about that time of year and boy, is it fun. But it's also time to answer your questions. And we've got a ton of questions from the Talking Hockey Sense listeners. I really appreciate your participation. And very secretly, it is basically doing the work for me so that you can fill my segments with smart questions. And that allows me to figure out what you guys want to hear about. And our first question comes from Nabil, and this will allow me to take care of a little housekeeping as well. Nabil asks, when do your first draft rankings come out for the 2024 NHL draft? Nabil, good question. And I finally have an answer. So you may have noticed a lot of the draft analysts have put their rankings out, their, 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 uh, you know, their early season rankings. It's about that time, usually early November. Um, because of the job that I have with Flow Hockey, where I have to cover a lot of different leagues, um, including you know, the ECHL, college hockey, everything else, mine gets pushed back a little bit because I need a little more time to put everything together. I need more time to watch more games. I've been going to the rinks, and I've also been watching a lot of video. And so now I'm getting closer. Um, as of right now, tentatively, November 20th is the loose date that we're looking at for having those draft rankings out. We'll have a full... Uh, episode to discuss those rankings on Talking Hockey Sense as well. Um, I think that actually might be uh, closing in on our 100th episode because we're on 98 here. So I think our 100th episode will be a lot of draft talk. Um, but, you know, I'm in the process of putting those together. Uh, I don't think uh, if you want a little quick spoiler, Macklin Celebrini is going to be number one. <laughs> but beyond that, um, wide open race. I, I'm really excited to kind of dive in more, but I've been looking at a lot of different things and, um, you know, credit to all the, the people that have already put their rankings out. Um, I look forward to putting mine out in a little bit later this month and before we really ramp up into our world junior uh, talk, but I will be out there as well. And obviously watching a lot of the prospects that we'll hope to see playing for the various countries at the world juniors. All right, our next question is uh, World Juniors related, and it comes from Avco Cup. Is the blue line for the USA U20 team looking any clearer now that hockey season is in full swing? Who are the locks? Who still has a chance? Well, obviously, I, I answered part of this already, um, but I did want to kind of go over it again because I think that this is really going to be a fascinating decor in terms of how it's structured. Um, who makes sense there? Who doesn't, you know, what kind of style do you want to play? Um, and how much are we going to lean on the results of the summer camp versus the first half of the season? Because if you look, looked at the summer camp, you'd say Hunter Brustevich was on the bubble. You look at the way that he played the season, you say, how can you not take him? But it's not always that simple because you look at the makeup of this team. And we talked about Lane Hudson, Seamus Casey, Zeev Booyam, Eric Polkamp, um, you know, a number of other players that, that have done well. You look at Vinny Borghese, he's done, had a nice season here at Northeastern, you know, players that have kind of fit that, that mold. But, you know, you look at also the coaching staff and Zeev Booyam plays at Denver for David Carl. He's playing big minutes as a true freshman, as a draft-eligible true freshman, and he's looked outstanding. He very well could go much earlier than we've seen him ranked in public rankings because he's an undersized defenseman, and we've seen over the last couple of years that hasn't necessarily you know, jived with what NHL teams are wanting to do. But we've also seen them kind of bite their tongue a little bit and, and, and hold back about you know Lane Hudson and when he was drafted and drafting him in the second round now we're seeing Zeb Bouillon put up big numbers at, at Denver and, and playing key minutes. So I think that he's a guy that's in there. Like I said, I think the only three locks that I feel completely confident will be on the team are Hudson, Chesley, and Casey. Beyond that, 
there's a lot of openings and a lot of different things. And, you know, you look at different guys like Sam Renzel, you look at, uh, like I mentioned, Paul Fisher, Zach Schultz, you know, players that they have a chance. You know, I, I, I think that there's, there's a lot, I think pole camp, the way that he played in the summer camp and the way that he's played so far at Bemidji state, I think you have to keep him in the mix. Um, but I, I also think that there's that potential to bring in some players that weren't in camp um, that, you know, you've liked from how they played their college season or, you know, if it's an underager like a Logan Hensler or a Will Scahan or a EJ Emery, I like, you know, I, I think it's tough. I don't think that we'll see Cole Hudson um, because of what I mentioned with those undersized puck movers that they have throughout their lineup already. Um, it's going to be tough, but the, the blue line is critical at this tournament and I think that the the way that the U.S. team will have to be structured, you're going to have to leave some guys that deserve a shot to be there home just because they don't fit stylistically or you already have so much of that what they do. So something to think about uh, going forward. All right. Our next one comes from uh, Andrew. And Andrew asks, what have you seen so far from Cutter Goche and Matt Vaymichkov? Do you think Cutter has progressed enough as a center to stick down the line in the NHL? If you had to rank the top three right-hand D for 2024, who would you choose? All right, well, there's a lot of questions in there. Andrew, I'm going to tackle the first one about Cutter Goche, and I think that what we've seen so far from him this season at Boston College is a player that is absolutely on a mission to uh, produce at a high level. He has a goal per game. He has looked sharp. He has looked confident. Um, he's so strong on his skates. You know, I think that for him, the question of whether or not he's going to be a center is ultimately going to come down to fit and what what the needs are of the team at the time. I personally still like him better on the wing as a trigger man, as a guy that's going to score a lot of goals. I don't view him as a straight play driver. Um, I view him more as a finisher, but I think in that role, he's he's high end. And so um, I think that he's still very much progressing in a very positive manner. He's playing at a level that you would hope to see a top five pick play at. He's going to have the size, the athleticism, the skating ability, the shot. You know all those things that that you know that that are going to allow him to to have success at the NHL level, and I think you know maybe it's at the center position, maybe it's at wing. Either way, you've got a valuable forward asset. Meanwhile, you know you look at Matt Vaymichkov, and since the move to Sochi, he's been outstanding. I mean, you know he's producing at a high level. He's scoring the goals that you expect him to score. He's making plays. Highly intelligent player. You know, I think that the, the KHL has started to look and feel a bit easier for him. Um, it's not an easy league by any stretch of the imagination, but he's made it look fairly easy for himself. So I, I, I really like where he's at. I like what he's doing. Um, and I think he's got uh, uh, a lot to like there. And as for the uh, top, the ranking the top three right-hand defensemen, you'll have to stay tuned until April 20th when I will release my uh, top 32 for the early season, and uh, there's going to be a few right-hand defensemen on there. I can guarantee you that it is a great year to be looking for defensemen. I'll tell you that much. All right. Our next question is going to come from Charlie, and this is about another world junior hopeful, and that is thoughts on Will Smith's start to the year. So Will Smith playing at Boston College. How has he started? Well, 12 points in eight games is pretty darn good. He has been... Productive, confident, uh, crafty, shifty. Um, there has been no drop off from what we saw from him last year. This is a guy that you know obviously was a high draft pick that has tremendous potential. You know, I think he's got got star potential. If you are a San Jose Sharks fan and you're watching your team just stumble through this season, help is on the way. Um, I know they've got some young guys in their lineup already, but I do think that Will Smith is going to be a centerpiece of this rebuild. Um, if they manage to get the draft lottery win and get Macklin Celebrini, who played for the San Jose Junior Sharks for a period of time, um, all the better because then you'd have a tremendous one-two punch. And you know which which of it would would you know would Celebrini or Will Smith be your number one center down the line? I think it would be Celebrini, but Smith is such a, a, a highly intelligent player. Um, I think Will Smith is going to be an, an it, it, just a critical piece for this World Junior team. With Logan Cooley unlikely to be available for Team USA at the tournament, we can't say definitively, but I think it's pretty safe to say he won't be. 
Will Smith is going to more than likely be the number one center for this team. Um, and that is a, a, a critical piece for, for, you know, will this team score enough? Well, a guy like Will Smith, who drives play at an extremely high level, that's going to help a lot. So I think Will Smith is, is a big-time player. Um, and what we've seen from him at Boston College this season says that. It says that this is a guy that is going to be um, a special talent. The real question is going to be, with how well he's playing now, will he come out next year or will he take another year? And if I'm the San Jose Sharks, I don't mind if he takes another year because they are way far away. And if he spends one more year in college, that's one one last year to worry about a contract. And it's also um, you know, not going to hurt him because he's, you know, while playing extremely well, has he been dominant, so to speak? In some games, yes, in some games, no. So we'll we'll have to keep an eye on that. But Thank you for the question. I appreciate it. And I think Will Smith is a, is a heck of a young hockey player. All right. Our next question comes from at Steven 39 and Steven asks, can you talk about the progression of Connor geeky from last year to this year? Seems like a different, more dynamic player. You know, interestingly enough, I, I think it's always tough when a player goes back to junior at 19 and, and it's certainly a player that, that has geeky size and, and, and skill. Um, basically what he's doing this season hasn't surprised me. He's, you know, well over a point per game back in the WHL. Um, you know, I, I don't think that has he progressed? I think, yes. I think that there's more elements to his game. I think he's playing smarter. I think he's playing a bit faster. Um, but you know, basically at this point, I think what we're seeing right now is less of a, a dramatic progression and more of that maturation that we see in players He's now a 19-year-old dominating at the WHL level when he was already, you know, pretty solid in that regard. If he's going to outscore, if he's going to have a career year this year, the confidence should be at an all-time high. You know, I still think that it's very likely he'll spend some time in the AHL next season as he's, you know, getting prepared to play in the NHL. Um, but if he continues on the pace that he's on, you know, that that very well could change. Um, you know, it's just about continuing to get better, stronger, faster. Um, you know, I think that the, the feet have been a little bit on the heavy side, but I think he's starting to lighten that up a little bit and that's helping him become a better player. And, and I think ultimately while not, um, you know, is he, is he going to live up to his draft stock? I think he will. Um, you know, I think he's going to be a key piece for this, this Arizona young core going forward. But, um, you know, I think what we're seeing this season is less of a dramatic progression than it is just simply maturation and a player that's playing at a level that he should be playing at. Um, all right. This uh, this next one comes from uh, our own Ryan Sykes. And if you haven't been reading Ryan on the USHL on Flow Hockey, you better start now. He's had a ton of great pieces, recently wrote about Chris Pelosi, who we actually have a, uh, a question about coming up in a little bit. But this one comes from Ryan, and Ryan actually asked me this in DM, and then I was kind enough to tweet it at me as well. What are some of the challenges of scouting prospects on bad teams? Well, there are many. Um, I think when a player is on a team that's struggling – one of the things you notice right away is they don't have the puck as much. Um, you know, I think that that's, that's a key thing. You want to see a player, how they carry the puck, how they handle those situations, you know, what kind of uh, uh, what they can create. And it's a lot harder when, when you create, uh, when you, when you're creating and you're not getting any results. That's why if we were only scouting box scores, we would, we would struggle to identify the players that, you know, are not having, hugely productive seasons. Context is so important when you're evaluating a player, understanding the quality of the team, the quality of the line mates, the amount of ice time, the the trust or faith that a coach has in a player, the systems that they play, different things like that. Everything can have an effect. And so context, like how bad a team is, is, is always important, but I've seen plenty of bad players on bad or good players on bad teams that, rise to the occasion. How do they do that? Well, they're still creating opportunities. Maybe those opportunities aren't getting finished, but they're still creating opportunities. They're getting scoring chances themselves. Um, you know, I think that there, there's been no shortage of, of players that have played on, on poor teams where the numbers just didn't look that good. There have also been really good players. I, I think back to Jake Sanderson, who we look at now as like one of the rising star defensemen in the NHL. And he didn't have a very productive draft year. But the team that he was playing on was abnormally unproductive for a national team development program team as well. So 
understanding that and seeing the points that he did have and also seeing the the little touch points like when he was at a four nations and he really produced and when he was at the uh all-american prospects game and he was one of the more productive players at that event you know those those are little touch points that allow you to say okay they can do it they they have that ability so you're always looking for that too but on these on these bad teams you have to understand okay they're not going to have the puck as much but how are they moving what kind of competitiveness are they showing? How's their body language? How are the things, you know, how is, okay, everything's negative around this team. Is this player feeding into that or are they trying to make a difference? Um, those are all sorts of things that you're looking for. The effort level, if it's there, even though the situation is dire, that says a lot about the player. It says a lot about their character, a lot about their worth, work ethic. So there can be a lot of wins that you find. And they, they sometimes maybe they're, there are guys that are going to get overlooked because their their points are scare people away, or you know they maybe hey this team was bad. How big of a reason it was? Were they bad because this player wasn't good enough? You know those are the questions you have to ask yourself, and you can only do that by watching those teams play. So thank you, Ryan, for both the question and all the great work that you've been putting out for Flow Hockey this year. Uh, we really appreciate it, and definitely go read it, everybody that's listening. All right. Our next question comes from Habs on Reddit. And if it's a Habs question, you know they're going for Lane Hudson. And I don't, you know, we talk about Lane Hudson a lot on this podcast, and I don't mind. He's one of my favorite players to watch. Hey, Chris, can you talk about what you've seen from Lane Hudson so far this season? Has he gotten even better offensively? And is he one of the favorites to win the Hobie Baker this year? Thanks. All right. Is he... Is he one of the favorites to win the Hobie Baker this year? I mean, I think I, I I wrote as much, you know, in my early season. I think that Lane Hudson was the favorite. Um, you know, he did get injured, missed a game this year. Um, not going to really impact his candidacy. Um, you know, we have to see how everybody else is producing. I think his, some of his biggest competition is going to end up being Macklin Celebrini, who's on his own team. Um, but, you know, in terms of whether or not Hudson's more offensive this year, the thing that impresses me most about Lane Hudson is that every time I see him, he's a little bit better than he was before. Um, his puck touches continue to mystify me in terms of how how, how many moves he has in his arsenal, um, how smooth his puck touches are, and how aggressive he is in finding the holes and the lanes to get pucks into the net, either by a shot or by a pass or if he has to skate it in. Um, he's got some goals from distance this year, which I think is a big part of you know what is allowing to help fuel his success. Um, he doesn't have a blistering shot, but it's a good shot. He places it well. He hides it well. Um, and it's, it's giving goalies trouble when they have traffic in front of them. Um, I think that, you know, in general, the offensive elements of his game were never in question. They're never going to be something that anybody worries about. It's all about, you know, can he continue to defend at a high enough level? Can he play strong enough, you know, given the fact that he has a smaller frame? Um, and I think he continues to answer those questions in college hockey. He's going to have to continue to answer those in the professional level. But I think with what we've seen this season, is he better offensively? I mean, I think he's probably just better because he has more experience and, and he knows more ways to beat defenders and he knows more ways to score goals. Uh, but beyond that, same old Lane Hudson, which is to say he's a, he's an absolute magician with the puck and uh, a blast to watch. And I don't think there's really anybody like him. Uh, that I've seen. And and now you watch the success that Quinn Hughes is having this year as a guy that was knocked for his size, for, you know, the fact that he was too offensive or, you know, but, but Quinn Hughes's skill and skating are, are incredible. And I would say that his, his Quinn still has a huge advantage in skating over say Lane Hudson, but Lane Hudson's hands are every bit as good as Quinn Hughes's, if not better. Um, one of the best puck handling defensemen I have personally ever watched. And, uh, that's why we talk about them a lot on this podcast because there just aren't many like them. All right. Uh, our next one, another Habs prospect. So uh, not all questions are about uh, Lane Hudson. This one comes from George. And George asks, did you get a chance to view Jacob Fowler this season? Is he really 6'1"? Seems a bit short for a goalie prospect. Ah, interesting. Um, you know, is he really 6'1"? I mean, I I think that I've I've stood next to him. I'm not a very tall guy. Uh, but he's taller than me uh, by a considerable margin. Um, listed at 6'2", uh, I think, you know, probably somewhere between 6'1", 6'2". Um, I don't think he has any size issues. I think that his hockey sense is also 
a big, uh, big differentiator between him and other goalies. I think he reads the game exceptionally well. Um, you know, he's gotten in better shape. I feel like he's made um, a lot of strides in, in the areas that he needed most to work on. Um, one of which was just, you know, getting in better shape, getting uh, um, everything correct, you know, with, with how he approaches um, the game and, and his, and his fitness level. And I think that's made a significant difference. And, you know, you watch him day in, day out at BC right now and you say, okay, well, this is a guy that was doing the same exact stuff last year and it's all looking good. So, you know, I think not only is he the correct height, um, I think that he has a lot of the tools and as he continues to um, improve in terms of the conditioning and the, the athleticism, um, the the brain and his and his ability to stop shots is, is off the charts. And I think he has a great chance to start some games at the World Juniors. All right, our next question comes from Gene, and Gene asks, what do you think of Garrett Shifsky's future, and could he get drafted or more likely to become a college free agent? Also, how concerning is Charlie Stramel's start? So, you know, Charlie Stramel, his start is a little bit augmented by the um, injury that he had. It's tough to judge. I've, you know, I think that he doesn't have points, which is obviously a concern in the games that he has played. Um, but, you know, I think that that's, that's going to be kind of an interesting thing to follow and track and, and, and see kind of where things go. Um, but I'm not really concerned about Charlie Stramel. I think that he is a versatile player, impacts the game in a variety of ways. That's why I still think he's firmly entrenched on, on Team USA. Um, if he makes the U.S. roster, he'll become the first person since I believe Jason Zucker and Jack Campbell to play in three consecutive World Junior Championships. Um, not a long list of players that have done that. Um, you know, I just think that he, you know, right now we'll we'll have to see. I think the injury makes it a little tough to judge. Um, as for Garrett Shifsky, I think it would be very difficult for him to be drafted as a 20-year-old college freshman. Um, who doesn't have tremendous size. He had a great season in the USHL last year with Waterloo, captain the team. Um, you know, he was close to a point per game in the USHL. This year he's over a point per game off to a great start with Michigan. Their schedule has been a little bit, you know, they've had some tough games, but they've also had some some games where they didn't play necessarily as well. Um, so there's there's that as well. Um, but you know, I think that Shifsky is probably one of those guys that you will look at as a potential, um, college free agent. Um, if he continues this production, I think that's a possibility. I think it's less likely that he gets drafted, but at the same time, I, I think he's a player that has earned the right to get viewed. Um, and I think the teams are, are more and more looking at second and third year draft eligible players as guys that could potentially, um, make a difference. Um, and We'll have to see where that all goes, but I think it's a good question um, on Shifsky as well because that's a guy definitely worth watching if you are among the the college free agent watchers out there. All right, our next question comes from Dana, and Dana asks, could Adam Benak be number one in 2025? Now, Benak had a, had a tremendous um, – Holinka Gretzky Cup, which kind of burst him onto the CD. Two points per game, 10 points in five games at Holinka Gretzky, despite just being, you know, uh, uh, 16 years old. The the reason that I I, I say it's probably not, he, he probably won't challenge uh, for, for number one next year is, uh, you know, the size factor. I think that that's part of it. He's playing in the Czech Professional League this year. You know, I'd be interested to see if Benak does come over to uh to North America if that's an, in the cards for him um to potentially goose his his draft stock and you know he's he's played in six pro games and mostly in U20 games and um you know I think that what he showed at the Holinka Gretzky Cup was really impressive it's just really hard to go number 1 and then you also think about the guys that are going and that's you know Michael Misa <coughs> excuse me Michael Misa and James Hagens I think the competition is going to be very steep. Um, and so for to be an undersized European um, forward, uh, not many of those players will go very high in the draft. And I think that will be the case um, where Bennett could be a first-round pick. But I don't think number one is in the cards for him. <coughs> Excuse me. My goodness. Must be uh, getting closer to winter because it's getting dry in here. 
All right. As promised earlier, I had a question about uh, some Bruins prospects, and Mike asks about them here. Mike asks, talk to me about Bruins Sioux Falls duo of Chris Pelosi and Beckett Hendrickson, and how do you feel about them as future college players? Uh, well, you know, I think that both of them are pretty interesting players in general. I think Pelosi is a guy that, you know, kind of really burst onto the scene out of nowhere last year, played his way into being a third round draft pick of the Boston Bruins. And this year he is looking outstanding. I think that he's played really, really well. Um, he is shooting more. He's scoring. You can actually go and read uh, Ryan Sykes wrote a great feature on Pelosi about what how he's approached the game differently this year. Um, and, you know, he's he's a real top-end player um, that I thought looked great at the at the um, at the at the fall classic. And I, you know, you look at how he's played, he's scoring lots of goals in a variety of ways, from distance, from in tight. You know, he's got some size to him, he's got some strength to him. Um, and you know, he's looking like a, a real blue chip prospect for Quinnipiac, which which is where he's committed to, but already 12 points in 14 games for Chris Pelosi, looking real solid and strong there. And I think, you know, he had 19 points all of last season when he did play in the USHL after moving up from the North American League. Um, but he's leading his team in scoring and he's playing really well. Not too far behind him in the point total is Beckett Hendrickson, who played at the National Team Development Program last year. He's Darby Hendrickson's son, long longtime NHLer and, and NHL coach. And, you know, Beckett Hendrickson, there was a, there was some discussion about whether or not he was going to go into the University of Minnesota this year, uh, which would have been a year early. Um, but Minnesota opts to bring in Jimmy Clark. Beckett Hendrickson goes to the USHL, and now he's been playing really well. He's having a hard time finishing when he's got opportunities to score goals, but the assists are coming out. He's got 10 points in 14 games. And last year at the national team development program, he was always kind of one of those depth players. He did see time in the power play. He got a couple chances here and there, um, but ultimately he ended up, you know, getting drafted, uh, you know, fourth round, not too late, but um, I think that there's a lot of upside there with him and he's only just beginning to tap into it. So I think he'll have a good season in the USHL. I think both players are going to be impact college players as well, which is uh, which is a great place to be. All right. Now we got a Macklin Celebrini question, and this is more of a technical question. I like this one from Liam because maybe we can help uh, educate some people here on uh, the, this question, which is a good one. Liam asks, Hey, Chris, when a player like Celebrini makes the jump to college hockey a year early, oh, sorry, never mind. I skipped the questions. I'm, I'm probably making my producer, uh, Amanda, uh, scramble, but I let me let me go back. Rewind. We'll get to Celebrini next. Uh, going back, uh, Rob, this one comes from Rob, and Rob asks, hey, hey, what are your thoughts on Dvorsky's start to the season? Any cause for concern? Um, and thank you, Amanda, for, for getting that up. Sorry for possibly giving you a heart attack there uh, as I skipped ahead in my questions. Um, but, you know, Dalibor Dvorsky, obviously an interesting season, started the year in Sweden, ends up moving to junior hockey. So how's it going? Well, he's playing for Sudbury in the OHL, and he has seven points in six games. I think Dvorsky, he didn't – the transition from – so last year he played in Allsvenskan. This year he started the season playing the SHL. As, a, as an 18-year-old player, that is a difficult jump. It's a difficult jump for any player, but it's really difficult for an 18-year-old player. And you have, you know, the SHL is not necessarily in the business of developing prospects for the NHL. They they try. They certainly, that's that's a byproduct. But you have to be able to produce to stay in the lineup. And Dvorsky wasn't able to do that. Is that a cause for concern? No, because now he's playing within his age group. He's playing at a high level at the OHL. He's playing on a very good Sudbury team, which I think is going to be great for his development. He'll go to the World Junior Championship. He'll have an opportunity to, you know, to lead Slovakia there. He was one of the guys I didn't even mention. Uh, when we were talking about you know the potential of Slavkovsky going back, you could have one of the best Slovakian junior teams in decades go play at the World Juniors, and Dvorsky will be a, a centerpiece of that. He was outstanding at the Under-18 World Championship last year. Love his work ethic. I think his skill is outstanding. He's got good intelligence. He's got good size. I think this is a great way for him to restart. It's an opportunity for the Blues to keep close tabs on him and be part of his development, and I think that's a great thing for him. I don't have any concerns about that at all. 
Um, I think he's still a, a high, high end prospect with a bright future ahead of him. And we'll watch him as he continues to progress. And still, the other thing about going to the OHL, now he's adjusting to North American style hockey. He's trying to, you know, get making, making some, some real, uh, plays and, and having the puck a lot more than he did at the pro level. That's a good thing. All right. Now let's get to our Celebrini question from Liam. Uh, sorry for the false start there. Liam asks, Hey, Chris. When a player like Macklin Celebrini jumps to college hockey a year early, what does this mean for the player's education? Do they skip 12th grade or are they just on a hockey team and still technically high school students? Thanks. Well, Liam, great question. Uh, The technical thing, if you want to go to college, you do have to graduate high school first, just like everybody else. Even if you're an amazing hockey player, if you haven't graduated high school, you can't go into college. So how do they do this? Well, we've seen this before with a lot of players. Um, including, you know, guys that, you know, they they have late birth dates. So they're technically a year behind in school, but in hockey terms, they're in the right birth year to go into college. So Celebrini is not a late birth date. He is a natural, you know, 17 year old. He should be a senior in high school this year. It was the same thing with Matt Wood last year. You know, he should have been a senior in high school. What what is what is happening now is more and more players, especially players like Celebrini, accelerate their schooling. They do that by taking extra classes during the year. And a lot of these these a lot of hockey players right now, a lot of them, uh, they are not going to a physical school. Many of them are taking their classes online. They still have to pass those classes. They still have to get grades that are good enough that allow them to get into school. Um, the online courses have to be accredited by the universities to get in. So technically Macklin Celebrini should be a a high school senior, but he graduated early in order to enroll at BU. And you have to have that completed before you can enroll. So he had to do all of the things that everybody else has to do to get into school, but he had to do it faster. Players will do that by taking summer courses. They'll take those extra courses. There are plans that they can get on to make sure they have all the high school credits that they need. Um, It's become easier and easier to do it. There are a lot of actual online high schools that are marketing to athletes these days, Um, not just to accelerate, but simply to complete classes. Because you think about, and, and we can also have a debate about this in terms of, is this ultimately a good thing? Um, you know, players not having the high school experience, players not, you know, having some of the rites of passage that other people do. Um, there are players that have gone to physical high schools and still accelerated and, and made it made it to college hockey. But that's something a little bit more unique. So uh, but yeah, but as we've seen the proliferation of hockey academies, the proliferation of online schooling, you know, players are finding it easier and easier to not only get through high school, but also to not you know, have to go to the structural institution because they travel a lot. There's tournaments, there's all these other things. Um, if you are an elite level hockey player as a teenager, it is very difficult to handle traditional schooling. Um, and so players are getting the opportunity to accelerate. So Macklin Celebrini, long, long explanation for a relatively simple question, but a great question because I know that a lot of people are curious, how does this even happen? Um, there are a lot of ways that it can happen. Uh, but you still have to put in the work to graduate school. And, um, you know, I think you look at guys like like Owen Power, um, you know, Adam Fantilli, you know, those guys came from families where school was super important to, you know, what what they're doing. And I think that, you know, the same can be said. You think about Macklin Celebrini, his father is one of the, you know, the smartest individuals in sports medicine right now uh, and sports performance. And Rick Celebrini works for the, the, the Golden State Warriors. You know, I'd have to imagine that school is pretty important to that family as well. Um, and so... Macklin uh, uh, gets through uh, through that way. All right, a couple uh, general questions before we close this thing out. And this next one comes to us from Peter. And Peter asks, uh, the Caps' Alex Suzdalev started the year in Hershey, didn't play yet, 11 games on a, load, on a loaded team, just got loaned to Mora IK. Thoughts? Does the Allsvenskan seem like a good solution, appropriate place for him? Thank you. Peter, good question. And I think that the appropriate place for a player like Alexander Suzdalev is wherever he can get playing time. Last year, he had the great fortune of playing on the Regina Pats, and he was a you know a high scorer in Canadian junior hockey. Um, you know, now he's getting the opportunity to play against men um, in the All Svenskin. 
as you mentioned, Hershey didn't really have the roster spot for him. And if you can't put a player into the lineup, you have to find a place where they can go. And I think for Swedish players in particular, there is also an agreement with Swedish Hockey Federation that if they're not getting you know, the opportunity at the AHL level, that they come back to Sweden. And Suzdalev, you know, is now able to do that and, and go play in Sweden. Now, he's already played in the Allsvenskan a little bit, just a little bit. So he doesn't have a ton of pro experience, which is another reason why this is a great opportunity for him. You know, he's a player that still has the opportunity to play at the World Junior Championship. Now he's going to get those reps at, at Mora and maybe have an opportunity to, to make the team. Now he's a little bit behind the eight ball, hasn't played a lot this season. We'll see if it, if it ultimately allows him to play. There he's been in the Swedish system. I know he's got a Russian sounding name, but he's a Swedish born, uh, Swedish uh, international played for Sweden at the under 18 worlds. Um, so is it a good move? I think the Allsvenskan is a great place for 18 and 19 year old players, um, especially when you know they're they're natives of that country. Um, you know, if if you're not the AHL is the is the you know the place to develop. You know, I think it's one of the great developmental outfits there is and that's where you would want to send your players typically but when you don't have the room this is a great alternative so Suzdalev who had 86 points in 66 games last season you know instead of going back to the WHL where he wouldn't have the same infrastructure that he had last year and same team that he had last year in Regina now he gets an opportunity to play via loan from uh, Washington Capitals, but I think you also have to think about you know here's a guy that has really started to to, to put his career on a on a path towards NHL, um, and I think that's a great thing uh, for him. So to wherever he is going to play is where he should be. All right, our last question was actually a question that came in last week, but I didn't get to it in time, so I'm adding it now. So Wesley, thank you for your patience. I hope you stayed through the end to finally hear your question asked. Seven days ago, and this is about the Detroit Red Wings and Axel Sandin Pelica. Wesley asks, as a Wings fan, I've been seeing Wings Twitter drinking the Kool-Aid following Alex Sandin Pelica's start in the SHL. Close to Darlene's goal total in his draft plus one season, already surpassed McCarr's goal total in draft plus one. Any reason to temper expectations or full steam ahead on the hype train? Oh, boy. So Axel Sandin Pelica, um, you know, first round draft pick. He slid a little bit further than I think some may have expected him to in the draft. You know, 5'11 defenseman, right shot, offensive, but not necessarily dynamic. And what is he doing this year? Boy, is he having a year. He's got seven points already in the SHL, six goals. Uh, he has been a, a power play machine. He is on pace for 20 goals this season. I don't think he's going to hit that. Uh, but, you know, 20 goals this season in the SHL. And as mentioned, you know, you judge it based on the 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 context. So, you know, you, you did mention McCarr that his draft season, draft plus one season, that, you know, he didn't score as many goals. He was playing college hockey. Um, you know, I, I it's it's hard to kind of differentiate between those two things. Um, but. You know, I think that that's, that's interesting nonetheless. Um, so looking at, you know, looking back at this, at, at, at the SHL, it is a tough league for a young defenseman to produce in. Um, no question about it. You look at the, the record was set by, uh, for a U20 defenseman, specifically U20, not just draft plus one, but a U20 defenseman, Nils Lundqvist had 31 points um, just a couple of years ago. And obviously he's still, you know, struggling to find his way as an NHL player. But to see Axel Sandin Pelica already take this, you know, I, I'd say the hype is warranted. I don't think it means that he's going to be a superstar defenseman in the next level. Um, you know, I think that he's going to be an NHL player. I think that he has NHL hockey sense and he makes a lot of plays. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we're judging this early. Six goals in a, you know, in the span of the season that they've played so far is very impressive. Um, but especially when a uh, defenseman's numbers are inflated by goals, you know, you start saying, okay, well, how many there, there's also a bit of fortune in that as well. Axel Sandin Pelic is not going to score 20 goals this season. Um, but 
he scored six and 16. It's really impressive. It's a small sample. You take it with a grain of salt. You wait to see what the rest of it looks like. But he's got a big season ahead. To have started this fast is a great thing for him. It's great for his confidence. It's great for you know the Red Wings to, to, to pump him up a little bit more. And it's great for Team Sweden because obviously he's going to be a key player for the world junior team. He was last year as a draft eligible. The, you know, he's one of the, he might've been the first ever defenseman to play in the U twenties without playing in the U 18s first in the, in the, as long as that tournaments existed. And he ended up becoming almost their number one defenseman throughout that tournament. So I'm excited to see him, especially on home ice um, playing in Sweden. And I, I think, you know, while I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid yet, um, I am certainly intrigued by what he is doing. And, uh, I can't wait to see what happens next. So I got a couple other questions that I'll save for next week, but I'm really excited that, you know, we're kind of at this stage of, uh, of the season where we're getting ready for the world juniors, because it is, you know, my favorite tournament. It's certainly one of the great uh, showcases of prospects. I think it's some of the best hockey outside of the NHL and such a great way to, to get the midseason going. So make sure you are checking out all of our World Junior coverage. They'll be coming out throughout the week. And if you haven't yet, get that subscription to Flow Hockey. I've been watching tons of hockey right now. I'm seeing every game I want to see with all the, the USHL. We've got some great ECHL games. I was watching a school day game yesterday at 9.30 in the morning, having a little bit of coffee, watching a live hockey game right on my computer as I was working. It's a beautiful thing. So make sure you get that subscription to Flow Hockey. Uh, go ahead and pop for the full year too. I mean, it's, hey, it, it's a great way to save a lot of money and you're going to get to watch more hockey than you could ever possibly want to watch, which is great. I think having more, more is better. Let's just say it. More is better. And we got a lot of it. So make sure you stop by over there. Also stay tuned for much more coverage. We've got college hockey, USHL, so much more in both written, in print, in video. And make sure you're following us on all of Flow Hockey's social platforms, at Flow Hockey on most, and at Flow Hockey TV on TikTok. So make sure that you are Followed up there because we got a lot of great original content coming your way very, very, very soon. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time.